Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello, humans. It's your host, Corey, back with this week's episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. Today, I want to talk about trust. It's a big word with a lot of loaded meaning and hidden implications. And when you hear the word trust, you're probably thinking about the kind of trust that exists between two or more people, you and someone else, just between you and a friend or between you and a partner, or less tangible connections like between you and the divine. However, since this podcast is more about rebuilding our relationship with ourselves, the kind of trust I want to talk about is the faith we have in ourselves or rather the faith we often don't have in ourselves, and the reasons why we might not trust ourselves. And if we don't trust ourselves, if we don't believe in ourselves and our abilities, it's really hard to love ourselves. I would even say it's impossible. Without trust, it becomes difficult to listen to what our emotions are telling us, and our bodies are trying to tell us. It becomes difficult to believe that we have the power or strength to heal ourselves, to grow and to accomplish our dreams or change our habits. Trust in ourselves is so intimately connected with our motivation and our willingness to do the work that without it, our lives just get a lot harder. Without trust, there's a lot more turmoil in our heads and in our hearts because we second-guess everything we think, everything we do, everything we want. And without trust, we become terrified of making mistakes. Or we begin to expect that everything we try will be a big mistake because we don't have faith that we're smart enough or strong enough or capable enough to figure things out when they go wrong. Self-care and self-work is really hard, enough as it is, but having trust issues makes it even harder. So simply put, a well-cared-for human is a human that trusts themselves. And just a heads up, I will probably use the words trust and faith interchangeably today in this context, but just know that I'm talking about the same thing. Whether I use the word trust or faith, I'm talking about the belief we invest in ourselves. It's that self-assured feeling of, I can do this. I know I can, no matter what the world or the people in your life might be telling you. All right, so now that I've talked a bit about what trusting yourself looks and feels like, Let me tell you a story about why I didn't trust myself for a very, very, very long time. Pretty much right up until this morning. (laughs) But no, it's not that bad. I'm much better at trusting myself these days than I have been in years past. But I still have moments of weakness where I doubt myself, where I question if what I think or feel or want is accurate or good for me. And there's a reason why I struggled with this trust for so long. So here's what happened. When I was a little girl, about four years old, I was sitting in the living room with my mom and my dad, and the police burst in. They threw my father to the ground, start handcuffing him, start dragging him away. And me, being very small, I'm confused. I'm scared. I don't understand what's happening. And there was an officer there who was trying to pull me into the kitchen to block my view of what was happening. 
and he was asking me questions to distract me from what was going on, but I had already seen enough. The damage was done. And this was the night that my father was arrested for statutory rape and eventually convicted and sent off to prison for several years. During his years away, I only ever saw him once or twice when my mom brought me to the prison to visit him and ask him for money, which is a whole different story. But the point I'm trying to make is that because of his sudden departure and the years of his absence, my father became this sort of mythic character in my mind. Little kids know nothing about their parents' characters or their flaws, so for me, my dad was just amazing. He was a calm, steady presence in my life every day, and now suddenly he's gone, with no real explanation of what had happened or why he was gone, and, and now my only contact that I had with this person who I had seen every day was reduced to letters or the things that he would send me in the mail. When my father was in prison, he used to draw a lot, and he would send me pictures of Disney characters like the Seven Dwarves and Mickey Mouse or Unicorns, things like that. And he would write me letters, and he would sign all of these letters with cute little winky faces. So here I was, five, six, seven, eight years old, and his letters or packages would come, and I would just be over the moon, and they were the highlight of my life. And so I made up a lot of stories about what it would be like when he came home and we could be together. And he was helping to build up my expectations of what it might be like when he came home because these letters were full of promises about how he couldn't wait to see me and how much he loves me and how it was going to be when he got out of prison, what my life might look like once he was back in the picture. And you have to keep in mind that the same time that these packages were coming and my dad was making these promises, my mother was descending into madness. When my father went to prison, my mother tried to support us on her own for a while. She got a new boyfriend pretty quickly, but when that didn't work out, she tried prostitution for a hot minute. But she couldn't sustain either of those lifestyles, so we ended up back in Nashville. We had been living in North Carolina, in Raleigh, up until my father's incarceration. But her parents had a house in Nashville, so that's where we landed. And the only problem with this was it was the same house where my mother had endured a lot of trauma as a child. Her father, my grandfather, was her rapist. He had started raping her when she was 11 or 12 years old, and she escaped by marrying a different abuser at age 16. Then she married my father at 19, and she was only 24 when he was arrested. So 24 years old, never having finished 8th or 9th grade, already two failed marriages behind her, and she was struggling with bipolar and PTSD. She had a hard time keeping jobs, but she has a kid, so what is she going to do? She really has no choice but to move us back home to let her parents help her. But this was really, really hard for her. To be reliant on your rapist for money and support to keep a roof over your head. And not only that, but her five-year-old daughter, me, is now sleeping in the room where these terrible things had happened to her. So it just wasn't good for her. And naturally, she started drinking. She started doing drugs. She got really sick and was arrested a couple of times. And because of this, my life was basically falling apart. And here was my father telling me everything would be okay when he got home. And I really wanted my father to come home and make everything okay again. So this deep, heartfelt wish, this desperate desire of mine, whatever you want to call it, put my father in a position of tremendous power because there was nothing in the world I wanted more. And that would have been fine if the man who had come home had been a healthy, loving man, but he wasn't. He had his own traumas and his own issues. My father didn't have a good childhood either. He came from a very poor, working-class family. His mother was an abusive alcoholic. His father was a sort of passive, indifferent man who remarried a horrible woman. 
who not only physically and emotionally and mentally abused him and his siblings, my father was one of six kids, but this wicked stepmother also starved them, made them clean and scrub and work all day and night, and she would lock them away in dark closets when they didn't obey her. And because his family was very poor, my dad was working as a shoeshine boy by the time he was nine years old. He was running around all the neighborhood bars trying to shine shoes for a bit of money, and the drunks would kick him and yell at him. And then when he grew up, it wasn't much better. First he was in the military, and then he was in prison, which I am sure are both super nurturing environments for a man with unresolved trauma. Because like my mother, he never got treatment for his trauma. In fact, he was, and probably still is, in complete denial that his unresolved trauma was even an issue. He probably thinks that he's mastered it, rather than tormented the people around him with it. But regardless of whether or not his stint in prison did or didn't exacerbate his trauma, the fact remained is that when he got out of prison, he was not the man I thought I was getting back. And my life did not go back to being the way I remembered it as a little child. This new version of my father was angrier, and he was impatient. He was narcissistic and manipulative, and his hatred for my mother was on full display in addition to slowly breaking my heart to pieces with every cruel thing he would say about my mom, who I still loved very much, even though she wasn't well, he was so wrapped up in his quest to prove to his family and the people who knew him that he wasn't this abusive, rapist, sex offender that he had been branded as. So he had thrown himself into building up his business and becoming a financial success story. And because he was preoccupied in that way, he wasn't really available to me as a father in a lot of ways. Because at this point, I'm a pretty traumatized kid myself, and I probably need more care and attention than the average child. And this confluence of factors is a bad mixture because I wanted my father's love so much. I was willing to do anything, believe anything. It was easy for him to convince me to be afraid of myself, to invalidate all the feelings I was having, to bow down to his beliefs and his ideas and to second-guess all of my views of reality and my very own experiences. Slowly over time, he eroded my trust in my emotions and what they were telling me because he would say things like, you're too emotional, you need to get your emotions under control, you need to compartmentalize that shit or you're going to end up just as crazy as your mother. And back then, I didn't know about my mother's traumas. I didn't understand why she was struggling with drugs and alcohol. I didn't understand why she was in and out of jail or why she let her own brother almost beat her to death. So I thought she was crazy. I believed him. And I was like, oh my god, I'm going to end up in jail or on drugs. I'm going to be just like her if I don't listen to him. If I don't listen to my dad, the man who actually remembers to pick me up from school and who never forgets to feed me and who gives me money for things and can actually buy me clothes. Because despite everything, he did know how to meet my physical needs. He did a real doozy on me mentally and emotionally, but when it came to physical needs, my father did understand what he was supposed to do to provide for a child. And so I got confused. Here was this person who was providing for me telling me that my other parent was not to be trusted, who was crazy, and I thought, okay, well, his way must be the right way to do things. He must be right. And if I want to be safe, I better do what he says. And there was no way for me to understand as a child that I was settling for less than I deserved when I bought into his beliefs like this. I just thought, here is the parent I've been waiting for, and he says he loves me, so he must be right. What happened is he slowly, piece by piece, sort of destroyed my self-confidence, my self-worth, my self-respect. Everything a child is supposed to learn from their parents in order to be a healthy, happy, independent person. 
I lost my trust in my intuition, my basic intelligence, the worldview that I had developed based on my experiences with my mom and my own traumas because he would say things like, what world are you living in? Get your head out of your ass. That's not how the world works. And whenever I tried to express a belief or a dissenting opinion, he would tell me things like, that didn't happen, that wasn't real, that's not how it played out, especially if it was something that made him look bad, which I later found out is basically gaslighting. And if I tried to say something like, you hurt me, or what you've done is hurt me, or don't do that to me, he would convince me that it was my own fault for feeling whatever I was feeling, and not the result of anything that he did. That it was either because I was too emotional, because I was being crazy, because I didn't see things clearly, and that I had no idea what was going on around me. Some of his favorite sayings were, respect is earned, not given, which is not something you say to your child. You love and respect your child unconditionally, full stop. And he would also negate my pain and trauma by saying things like, you don't know what pain is. When I was growing up, this, this, and this happened. And so you don't know what suffering is. I know what suffering is. You know what I've been through, and you don't hear me complaining and crying about it. And so I actually believed him. I actually went into adulthood thinking, yeah, I guess I don't have it so bad. You know, he did this, this, and this for me, and I'm fed. I'm not living in a back alley trash can. It could have been worse, which is a horrible place to be when it comes to resolving your own trauma. You can't fix a problem if you don't believe there is a problem. And just a small digression here, but I remember during a therapy session with my first therapist, a very kind and loving man named Art, who has since passed away, so rest his soul. But in this session, he said to me, Corey, I'm going to need you to say that what happened to you was horrible. And I started to fight him on this. I was resisting him. I was like, well, I mean, it was kind of bad watching my mother almost die. But, you know, like my dad bought my clothes. He bought me a car. He sent me to a good school. And he was like, no all of it, I'm going to need you to say that all of that was horrible. And when I finally said it, when I finally said out loud that the things that had happened had been really hard on me, I think I was probably 24 years old and suicidal and bulimic at this point, and things had gotten so bad because I had never once admitted to myself that this is hard, this is bad, I'm hurting, I'm really suffering. And so, you know, when Dr. Art made me admit it aloud, I think I just burst into tears and cried for the rest of the session. And probably for like the next 10 sessions, I just went into his office and sobbed because that's what my father had taken from me. He had taken from me that ability to hear the little voice in my head and in my heart that was saying, I'm hurting. This is bad. Something needs to change. I need help. So this acknowledgement of my pain was something that I had to give myself because he had never taken responsibility for the decisions that he had made or how they had affected me. I don't think he's ever apologized to me for any of the things that have happened, mentally or emotionally abusive things he said to me. There was once that he beat me and I ran away with my mom. It was like a coop staged in the dead of night, and he didn't even acknowledge that maybe I'd run away because he had taken a belt buckle to me and instead was like crying and said, is this really what you want? Is this what you're going to do to me? And so he just wasn't the kind of person to validate my emotions or my feelings or my thoughts in any way. And in fact, if I dared to have them, the first order of business would have been to tear them down. So all of this boils down to the fact that I wanted a father. I wanted a stable, loving parent so badly. I was willing to believe or do anything except anything that he gave me. And unfortunately for me, he was just not the kind of person that you wanted on the other end of this sort of dynamic. 
He knew what my fears were, and he used them to manipulate me and control me well into adulthood. And the result of that, the cost of that, was my love and my trust in myself and in everything I knew to be true. I wanted his love. I wanted his acceptance and approval, and in order to get it, I had to be willing to reject almost everything that I knew about myself to have it. And I did. That's exactly what I did. And because I did, I lost trust in myself. And the damage of that loss of trust in myself has been catastrophic to my well-being. It affected every facet of my being to the point that to this day, even after all the hard work and effort I've put in on my behalf, I still have a little fearful voice in me that says things like, are you going to give yourself up again? The next time someone comes around with something you want, are you just going to forget about me? If little Corey, that traumatized child and teen who suffered under her tyrant of her father for years and years, if she had a voice, she would ask me, are you going to abandon me again? Are you going to reject me again? Are you going to tell me I'm wrong and unlovable again? Are you going to tell me that I'm the problem again? Are you going to tell me that I don't hurt when I tell you that my pain is real? Are you going to tell me that I don't deserve to feel what I'm feeling? And of course now, as an adult, my job is absolutely to say no. No, I will never let that happen again. Regaining my trust in myself, rebuilding my trust in myself has been all about taking back these parts of myself that I sacrificed for a love I never received, an acceptance that I never received, and doing what I can to convince myself that I'm sorry, giving myself the apology I deserve from him, but I'm not going to get. I just have to keep promising myself over and over again that no, I will never, no matter what happens, leave myself in a ditch again. I don't care if someone hates me. I don't care if they reject me. I don't care if I want them to like me or to love me. I don't care if they're ready to cut me a check for $10 million. Nothing, not a single thing is going to make me yeet myself off a cliff ever again. And I've made that promise to myself. And I'm keeping that promise every chance I get. That's how you rebuild trust with yourself. Because every time I choose me, little abandoned, rejected, broken-hearted Corey gets a little braver, a little bigger, a little louder, and I'm stronger for it. This is also about reclaiming not just yourself, but your power. Over the years, I kept hearing this message, this advice, take your power back, just take your power back from him, and honestly, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't even know that I had any power, let alone that I had given it away somehow. And that's why it took me a really long time to realize that when I believed in something, when I accepted something as true, that was me investing my power in it. I was giving my power to that idea, to that belief. So when my father told me I was worthless, when he told me I was crazy or emotional or delusional, that I didn't know what pain was, that something was wrong with me, not him, and I believed these things, I was giving my power away to him. And it was because I had given him this power that he was able to use it against me. And it wasn't until I stopped believing these things that he was trying to convince me of about myself. Once I took my power back, he wasn't able to hurt me anymore like he had in the past. And the more I listened to myself, the more I loved myself, the more I trust my intuition and what my own inner counsel is telling me, above the voices and opinions of others, the more my power becomes mine again, and the less other people are able to hurt me. Now, this self-empowerment is not just the antidote to narcissistic fathers, either any beliefs or opinions or ideas that you've picked up along the way in your life. If you believe them, 
If you invest power in them, you're giving your power away to that. You're opening yourself to the possibility of being hurt in those ways. So take it back. Don't believe that. Don't believe any of those things. Invest instead in loving beliefs, nurturing beliefs, about how amazing and capable you are. Do not let other people use your own power against you. Don't let them hold you down. Don't let them cause you suffering. That power is yours. Take it back. So, I don't know how or why you might have lost faith or trust in yourself, or how bad it is for you, or to what extent you're dealing with the damage or the fallout right now. I don't know who you've given your power away to or why you did it. I just know that at the time, you probably thought it was what you needed to do in order to survive. And that was probably true. So just forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for whatever happened. Forgive yourself for whatever you did or didn't do. And just believe me when I tell you that you can absolutely, most definitely, rebuild that faith and trust in yourself. This is a belief that you can invest your power in. It's true. You have every reason to believe in yourself. Every single reason. And I really hope that you find a way back to yourself. And at the risk of sounding a little forceful here, I'm just going to say that it's a non-negotiable. You have to believe in yourself. It's such a crucial piece of self-love. So fight for yourself. Do whatever the hell you need to do to get it back. And if you have no idea what fighting looks like, it looks like patience. It looks like understanding. It looks like speaking kindly to yourself. It looks like choosing yourself and your well-being over someone else's bullshit. So that's where I want to leave off for today. And I'll be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. And as always, I hope you found it useful and I want to thank you so much for listening. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.